Hey everyone, this is Chet Harms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about a story in the life of Jesus. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you about the services that we have coming up on Easter and the week leading up to it, which is traditionally called Holy Week. The first thing we have is Palm Sunday, which this year falls on March 25th, and our Palm Sunday service is one in which we really try to celebrate who Jesus is and why it was important that he entered into Jerusalem. And because our goal is to celebrate, that service is usually a really fun and lively service for us, and this year will be no different. We'll sing some upbeat songs. My sermon will be one in which I am lighthearted, but also really try to focus on who Jesus is and why that's important. The following Friday is Good Friday, the day that the church commemorates the death of Jesus and all that it means for us. Our Good Friday service is very different than our Palm Sunday service. It is a service where we do our best to reflect deeply on the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Our Good Friday service is centered around the Stations of the Cross, which is a traditional and artistic way of remembering the passion of Christ. We will take time to think about certain things that Jesus suffered as he moved towards death, and then we will reflect and then sing songs that align with those incredible sufferings. We'll finish that service with communion. The next day, March 31st, is our annual Easter egg hunt. And in that event, we partner with the Villebois Events Committee. Villebois is the neighborhood that we have our church services in. And we're really proud and excited to be able to partner with them again as we run that Easter egg hunt. That event runs from 12.45 p.m. until about 1.30, and there are different starting times for different age groups. There will be thousands of eggs, great prizes. It's really a great event. If you have kids or grandkids, we hope that you'll come out and be a part of that. And then the following day is Sunday, the Sunday of Easter. And on that day, we'll have what I think will be an incredible service. We do our best to blend contemporary and traditional in our Easter service. We sing old and new songs. We'll also have video and readings, and so really it is kind of a mix of old and new. On that Sunday, I'll preach a sermon about how, no matter how bad things are in our lives, the resurrection means that we can have a fresh start. We'll finish that service by decorating an old super ugly cross with flowers as a reminder that Jesus' death was horrible and ugly, but his resurrection is the most beautiful thing that the world has ever known. After that service, we will have a brunch, and the brunch is catered by Wilsonville Catering Company. They do an incredible job, and we're going to have a great meal with eggs and bacon and lots of good stuff. So now I've told you about all that we have going on, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, our egg hunt, and Easter. I really do hope that you'll come and be a part of each of those things. You can get all of the details by going to wilsonville.church Easter. That's wilsonville.church Easter. And now I hope that this sermon helps you to learn 
and live more fully for the glory of God. All right, so last week, um, Chad spoke on um, the feeding of the 5,000, and today it's walking on water. Um, when I was taking my undergraduate degree at Newburgh, um, at the George Fox there, I had a, a really awesome professor, his name was Tom Johnson, he, he taught Revelation, on the book of Revelation, and he talked about all these different views of Revelation, and there's a lot. I remember the first paper I wrote through his class, um, I had some pretty bad views, and uh, he wrote on there, uh, this was for a different class, this was introduction to like uh, theology, and he wrote, you need to take my, my class on Revelation, and so I did. Uh, and I really loved it, and uh, two of the views that really stuck out to me, uh, one was a view called the preterist view, and this was just looking at what it meant to the original audience. What does it mean to the original audience? This had a, a purpose and a meaning for the readers who read it for the first time. I said, well, yeah, that, that view makes sense. And then there was a view called the idealist, which just said, what does it mean to me? What does it mean to me? And I said, well, wait a minute, I'm both of those. And he said, well, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I'm both of those. I want to know what it meant to the people who read it for the first time, and then I want to look at it, and I want to know, what does it mean to me? And what impact should it have on my life? And really, so that's kind of uh, the direction that I want to take. I want to start by reading it out of Mark. It's Mark chapter 6, verse 45 through 52. And this is what it says. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. This is immediately after feeding um, the probably 20 to 25,000 people uh, while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they saw, because all they saw him, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And the miracle of Jesus walking on water is certainly not something that only scholars know or talk about or commentators know or talk about. It is an incredibly popular story. This miracle story of Jesus walking on the water, it is everywhere. You see it in media. You see it in other places. And the, what's dangerous about uh, this is that we often uh, get so focused on the act itself that we forget precisely what a miracle is. And they're called signs because they point to something greater than the act itself. Uh, a, a week ago or so, I was watching... Uh, the Portland Trailblazers play the Los Angeles Lakers. And I am a Trailblazers fan. My wife knows this. Uh, she doesn't always like watching games with me because I can get very angry. Yes, my mother knows this as well. I get very angry sometimes when they're not doing very well. Well, they weren't doing very well, and I was pretty angry. And at four minutes and seven seconds left, we're down six points, but we just looked ugly the whole time. We really did. And I'm fuming. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm fuming, and my wife is just sitting next to me, and she's 
being silent. And uh, Damian Lillard pulls up. Damian Lillard, our star point guard player, if you don't know, okay? He's like the player. Pulls up way deep. I'm talking way behind the three-point line. Shoots it. Goes right in. I can feel my wife's eyes looking at my face, right? She's just looking at me, and I don't react because, nah, nah, nah. We've been here before. We're still down three points. What are you doing to me, right? I'm not going to get my hopes up. We've already lost this game in my mind. We get the ball back. Damian Lillard gets the ball in his hands. He pulls up deep again. We're talking, we're talking miles behind the three-point line, and it goes right in. I don't budge, and this time my wife looks at me. She says, why aren't you getting excited? I said, I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I've been here before. I know how this ends. We're going to lose. We've looked ugly this whole time. We get the ball back. Damian Lillard spins over a pick. We're talking 360 behind a pick. He is basically in the center of the court in front of the middle logo. He takes a step back three and it goes in. And I get up out of the chair and I say these exact words. We don't deserve this man. We don't deserve him. And then he gets the ball again. He hits Another three, four consecutive threes. I fall on the floor. My goodness, what is going on? And then he does the famous, the beautiful tap of the wrist. That means it's Lillard time. <laughs> it's my time to shine. This game is over, and it was. And I loved it. My goodness, I love that. I'm thinking, I just saw a miracle here. <laughs> I saw a miracle. See, but there was really no sign. It didn't point to something greater than the act itself. It was the act that was the thing. And Jesus wasn't just doing these things that were saying, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. Right? I'm incredible. Look at me. He, he did it for a specific purpose. It was a sign in order to point to something greater than the act itself. So why did he do it? Why did he walk on water? And there are two points. I, can I say this really quickly? Because when we, when we, uh, there's some things I was looking up and some wild things I was finding when I was looking like, what happens kind of when you look at the act too strongly? And I found these three accounts and they really bugged me. Uh, one of them was of this, uh, and there's a video. Don't go and look for this video. Disclaimer, okay? I found it and I was like, wow, I'm really disappointed I watched that. It's of a Taiwanese pastor who said, look, I am, I am going to replicate what Daniel did. Daniel was a prophet in the Old Testament, loved God, and he refused not to pray to God. Well, what happened? He was thrown into a lion's den. So the Taiwanese pastor says, I'm going to go into a lion's den. I'm going to do it. Well, that didn't go well. That didn't go well at all for him, right? You know what? It ended better than I expected because he kept all his limbs and he was living. There was, an, there was another guy. Uh, his name's uh, Daniel Abadunran, Nigerian pastor who didn't fare as well. He wanted to replicate the same thing. He went into this uh, uh, zoo. Uh, he somehow convinced them to let them in. There's a really popular zoo in Nigeria. Uh, he went into the lion area, and he started chanting Bible verses, and the lions actually started to withdraw into the corner. Um, 
and he, that, I think, spurred him on even more. So he went to the lions, and he was saying, be still, be still, be still. And they were not still at all. Um, in fact, um, he did not survive that. Three lions. Um, and there's pictures. My goodness, there are pictures, and that's horrible. Don't go looking. Don't go looking. I, it was a rabbit trail that it was like, why did I go down this? Um, and there was another guy named uh, Frank uh, Kabil who actually promised his congregation after much prayer that he was going to walk on water. And he went into the water and he never came up. He drowned. As if the act itself is all that mattered when it was always to what the act pointed to. It was a sign for something greater. And the two, the two points that commentators often talk about are this, um, the purpose of Jesus walking on water. It's to reveal His divinity and to bring His divinity near to us. I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, I want to focus on a little bit of what I saw historically, kind of just looking at this text, and then I'm going to look about, uh, of what it means to us. Um, uh, last week, or, or the week before, sorry, I talked about the temptation, and one of the points um, that I made was how the temptation really showed Mark using Paul, and Paul talked about the second Adam, and how um, Jesus in Mark's account is being shown as the second Adam. He, he's greater than all the early Old Testament patriarchs. Jesus is reliving what Adam did wrong right? He, he, he relived it. He redeemed it. He did it better where Adam was tempted and failed. Jesus was tempted and succeeded. He conquered what Adam could not. That was in um, the temptation. And there was this other thing that I was seeing, and I got stuck on this one line in Mark where it says this, they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. So they see Jesus coming out on the water. At first, they thought it was a ghost, and they're surprised. He says, oh, well, take courage. It's me. It's Jesus. Yeah, it's me. He gets in the boat. The sea calms down. And then Mark says, they were completely amazed because they hadn't understood the loaves. What does that mean, the loaves? Right? So right before he had fed the 5,000 Jewish men with their families, so many approximate that it was twenty to 25,000 people. So this moment somehow shattered this sort of stone resolve that the disciples had. And I, I, I was thinking, well, did, what didn't they understand? Were they thinking, well, wait a minute, he fed 25,000 people with just a few loaves and some fish, uh, and it just totally multiplied. I need more, though. I need more. That's not quite amazing enough. I need more before I can trust what this guy says. I, I don't think that's what's being said here. And so I, I have a few uh, signs that, I, that I'm seeing. First, the first clue to figuring out what, what this means is the place. The place. So there's this Greek uh, construction. It's is irmon 
topon. Don't look at my dad. He learned Greek in a different way. I just said it in the original dialect. And he's got this weird anglicized way of saying it. But this, that, I said it like the way that they would say it then. Trust me, okay? But this roughly translates a wilderness place or a desert place or an isolated place. Either way, it's a place where there's really no people. This is not where people live. They went out. It's an isolated place. It's a wilderness. And the translation of this, it's going to matter. So hold on to that. This is a wilderness. And the people, these were, these were Jewish. This is another thing. These were the Jewish people with their families, okay? It was Jewish men with their wives and with their children. And then Jesus says in verse 34, when he was feeding the 5,000 uh, men and their, and their children, so we'll just say 20 to 25,000, he said, He had compassion on them because, and I quote, they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what's the problem? They needed someone to lead them. They needed someone to guide them. They were in the wilderness, these these Jewish people, and they needed someone to lead them, someone to guide them. Uh, It then says that Jesus went up to a mountain to pray by himself. He went up to a mountain to pray by himself. This is going to matter. He went up to a mountain to pray. And then the first miracle, there's two miracles. There's the feeding, and then there's the walking on water. See, the nature of the first miracle, we often will say it's just this multiplication of food. Um, I would, I'm going to word it a different way. It's the provision of food. Food was provided. They were hungry, and it was provided. That's going to make sense here in a second. And the nature of the second miracle, where is it? Well, it's on a large body of water, right? This second miracle. So there's a provision of food, and then there's this large body of water. So what's the point? Well, let's think. Is there any section in the Old Testament, any at all, that contains the following elements? Wilderness, a bunch of Jews the divine provision of food, a single leader who was the shepherd of those people, and a leader who has a bit of time with God on a mountain, and a leader who crosses over or through a large body of water. Does anything come to mind? If it doesn't, read Exodus. My goodness, this is the Exodus. This is Moses. In fact, the same verbiage is being used when it said they didn't understand the loaves because their hearts were hardened. That's the same verbiage used to Pharaoh in the Exodus. When, when God first came to Moses, it said that God would pass by him. It says that Jesus intended to pass by the disciples when they were on the boat. It's the same language. It's, it's the same story just done differently. See, the point that, Park, uh, that, that Mark is trying to make is that here you have Moses who uh, gave the law and who delivered his people from physical bondage. Well, now here you have 
Someone who comes to free you from something greater than physical bondage, but from the bondage of sin and death. Here you have somebody who doesn't just walk through water. My goodness, he walks on top of it. He transcends it. Here is someone who does it better. He came to give new laws. See, the laws, as as Paul talked about, were themselves bondage. He frees you from that too. This, This time where they didn't understand the loaves, they didn't understand the loaves when they saw Jesus walking on water. My goodness, they understood. It was a messianic moment. They said, here is our deliverer. Here he is. Here's the one that was promised to save us. He's greater than the law. He's greater than sin and death. My goodness, here is our Savior. They didn't understand the loaves, but when they saw him walking on top of the water, they understood. So in the temptation, you had the second Adam. Here on the walking of water, you had the second Moses. He relives, he redeems, and he does it better. And they understood it here in this moment. So if that's what's going on sort of uh, in the disciples' minds and their hearts when they see this. They understand that, my goodness, this is the Messiah. This is the one sent to deliver us. This is our Savior. That's what's going on in their minds. Well, how does that, how does that translate meaningfully to us today? How does this story impact our lives today? And I, 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 I boil it down to one simple point. And it's this, Jesus delivers us in our times of need. And so the only salient question that matters in all this is how. How does he deliver us in our times of need? And and I, I came up with three ways. The first is that he takes the initiative, he comes to us. You'll notice the text says that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. He saw this. We all, every one of us have things in our lives that we struggle with, that we have problems with, that we we don't know how to overcome. It could be anxiety. It could be some sort of brain struggles. It could be addiction. It's all kinds of things in our lives, relationships that we don't know how to navigate. People we don't get along with. It's in our marriage. It's in our friendships. It's in our work life. We don't know direction, where we should go, what we should do. My goodness, we all have these struggles. We're straining at the oars, and the wind is against us. We feel that at times. I felt that. Man, when I, when I was going with leaving Costco to go to a teaching job that didn't pay very much money, I felt like the wind was against me. I was straining at the oars. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't. See, but he comes to us. Of course, he can surprise us. Um, As it says, um, they thought he was a ghost, or the Greek is phantasma, which means a phantom. See, but when Jesus was needed, he went to them. 
That's how the redemptive story starts. When we needed salvation, he came to us. You know, when I was reflecting on this, the story that kept coming into my, my heart over and over and over again is the one that I don't like sharing, but it, it, it's with my dog, Rocky, who has passed away, and I, I, I loved this dog. Um, he was an awesome, awesome dog. He um, was a lap dog. He was a lover. Uh, Well-trained. I could stick 48 pretzels in that dog's mouth, and he would not touch them until I told him to. My goodness, he was good. He really was. And when he started uh, having kidney failure, um, he got super, super thin and super weak. And it was just a matter of time. Um, And he was suffering. My goodness, he was suffering, and I hated that. But Rocky had a lot of anxiety. He was abused as a puppy before we rescued him. He had a big scar on his neck where a chain was uh, actually embedded in his neck from when he was very young. And... um, Yeah, leaving him alone caused a lot of problems to carpet and other things. But he was our dog, and he was awesome. But he didn't like the vet. He hated the vet. It pained me to think that his last moments would be at a vet. No, that couldn't be. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And I remember when we called the vet up, They said, we'll come to you. And I thought, that's awesome. I couldn't move. My goodness, when I had to hold my dog, I couldn't move. There was no moving. There was no moving. When they came to me, there was no move. I couldn't. There's no way I could take him to a place that he hated. There's no way I could even get up. I was a mess. And they came to me. And they, I mean, I I couldn't even lift my head to say anything to them. I couldn't look my head to look at them. I was weeping over my dog. They, they, They did it, and they left silently, but they came to me. And it was awesome. And so that's the first point. When we are in our struggles, when we are dealing with things, we need to look around us because he came to us. Don't get stuck looking at the oars. Don't get stuck looking at what's ahead and just seeing the wind is against you and you're not getting anywhere. He is there. He came to you. And the second is that he comforts us. He says this, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When you finally realize that you're not alone, in what you're going through, and that you're straining at the oars, and you're against the wind, when you finally realize that someone's there with you, my goodness, someone who can help you, it's incredibly comforting. I have um, this story of this uh, little girl who came home from a neighbor's house where her little friend had actually died. And her father asks, why did you go? And she responds, to comfort her mother, said the child. What could you do to comfort her? The father asked. 
And the child responded, I climbed into her lap and I cried with her. Yeah. You're not alone. And sometimes just the fact that there is someone there with you who feels it with you, who is there in it with you, helps. When I went paintballing for the first time, I was too young. My goodness, I was too young. I dressed up like a marshmallow for this. I was in sixth grade. I had just moved to California. We were living in Sherwood in uh, some apartments there. And I had an, somebody else who had just moved from Guam who was also in sixth grade and lived in those apartments. His name was Ryan. Well, Ryan had a birthday. And Ryan wanted to go paintballing. And so I was invited because we were really good friends, and I was super excited. I get to have a gun, and I get to shoot people with it, right? I'm in sixth grade. I just paintballs, right? I'm not, nobody's dying. Everyone knows paintball is, right? Okay. Yes, there's paint that you shoot at people. Uh, but they're balls, and they hurt a lot, in fact. And uh, so I was like, well, I'm going to dress up. I'll put a T-shirt on. Okay, I'll put a sweatshirt on. Okay, I'll put a coat on. I should, probably, I, should, I should put two coats on, right? And, you know, I have sweatpants over shorts over sweatpants over some more sweatpants, right? And so I'm like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's go, right? Um, and we go there, and I'm super excited. Man, they fill our hoppers up with paintballs. They give us these guns with the CO2 tanks. You got to take a practice shot. Whap! I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, this is awesome. And uh, they tell us the rules. They give you the mask. And they put you in there, man. One team in this corner way over here and another team in this corner over here. Bell goes, Mah. everybody runs into the areas. And I'm in the corner. Like, oh, I don't move. I'm alone. My goodness. And I hear, whap, 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 whap. Hit! Oh! You know, I'm hearing all these things. I'm still in this corner. There's like this just wood protective panel. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what I get myself into. I'm so scared, right? I, I, I get enough courage. My goodness, I'm straining at the oars here, okay? I'm straining at the oars. I peek, I peek over and I see a guy. My goodness, there's a guy. He's behind a hay bale, right? Just this hay. He's right there. And I think, this is your destiny. Okay, right? I poke the gun out, I aim, I have like 100 years. I'm like, why, why is this guy so open? My goodness, I have 100 years to aim. I aim, eight shots, whap, 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 whap. Guy's like, oh, 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 hit. He gets up and I see his jersey, it's blue. My jersey's blue, my goodness. I just shot my own teammate. Right, and I get back in my corner, I'm like, I'm an idiot. Oh my goodness, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Oh my goodness, I'm scared. And I just go back and I stay there. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just shot my own team. I shot him eight times. My goodness, it looked like it hurt, right? And I'm just, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. And I'll never forget this. My goodness, uh, Ryan's dad peeks, peeks his head around. And I'm right? It surprised me. It surprised me, right? And he says, whoa, hey, hey, come with me. Please, oh my goodness, yes, I'll come with you. Yes, right? And I bet he saw that I shot that guy eight times in the back. I, that, I'm, I, you know, I was hoping nobody saw, but I bet he did. And he takes me with him. And just to be with somebody who could help, and just, it was an incredible comfort, my goodness. Uh, I went out there, yeah, I had fun, I got hit or whatever, but I was with somebody. He stayed with me almost the entire time. I went with him everywhere. I just followed. I was like his little puppy. He's like, you cover me. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. 
<laughs> I'm just staying right here, all right? I'd put the gun out the window and just shoot. Like, I'm covering you, right? I don't think I shot a, uh, anyone other than my own teammate that entire time. But it was awesome. It was incredibly comforting to be with somebody who could help. But, but, here's the condition. Here's the thing. He comes to us, but there's one crucial thing. One crucial thing here. He's got to get in the boat. He's got to get in the boat. See, it says here, right after he says, take courage as I, don't be afraid, that he gets in the boat. If you don't let him in the boat, you're stuck straining at the oars. He didn't have to get in the boat. My goodness, he had two perfectly good feet that were walking just fine on the water. He could have got there, just walked right by. <laughs> hey, looks like trouble, right? And just went right through. No, he got in the boat. He didn't have to get in the boat. Got in the boat because they were struggling. You have to let Jesus into the boat. You got to let him in if you want to make any headway. And right when he gets the boat, here's the third point. Here's the third point. He comes to us. He comforts us. He saves us. When he got into the boat, it says that the wind had died down. When I was trying to tell my kids at school um, a little bit about um, uh, it, it's, this is that theology and just the use of stories in, in order to illustrate some of the biblical truths, um, I showed them this video. It's a long video. It's a really beautiful video, and it has um, this scene of a train, and it's narrated by a man named Reggie Dabbs. He's a pretty uh, um, well-known motivational speaker. But the story that he lays out, I think, is really powerful. He lays out the story of a father and a son. And the son, the son loves his dad. In fact, the son loves when his dad comes early to pick him up from school so that he can go to work with his father. And one of these, one day, the father actually went early to the kid's work, and he was so excited. It was cold outside. It didn't matter. They got hot chocolate. It was awesome. And this kid, though, this kid was really perceptive. He wasn't like other kids. He saw people. He really saw people. Like, when you just see people walking around, he might have saw this man who was outside. Why are you in your bathrobe? Why are you in your bathrobe? He's looking at this window with this lady who seems pretty angry. She slams the window on him. He puts his head down. She, he sees the hurt. This little boy sees the hurt. He sees the brokenness. He really loved people. He really did. And when they're riding on the tram, going to his work, this little boy is being held in his father's arms, and he's seeing all these people. He's reading these faces, and he's seeing, man, some people are hurting. Some people are broken. Man, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot here. He loved those people, but more than anything else, he loved his father. He held on tight to his father. And they went by the train station. This is where uh, his father worked right by a train station. In fact, his father worked at a drawbridge. See, the, the bridge needs to go up and down in order to let boats through, right? But it needs to go down when trains need to cross. So his father would work on that. And then his son, while his father was working, his son would fish right at that river. But he said, son, you have to stay right here, right where I can see you. Right where I can see you. You got to stay right here. You got to fish. Catch us something good to eat. So he stays right there. So the father up 
in the window can keep one eye on his son and one eye on his work, right? One eye on his children and one eye on the world. And so as he's fishing and the father's working, he sees that a boat needs to come through. It's okay. Train is not scheduled for a while, so he lifts the bridge up, and the boat is going through. See, and conductors have uh, these red lights and green lights, much like you and I have these traffic stops. Red lights mean stop, right? Green lights mean go. Well, the conductor was a bit early. The conductor didn't see the light. It was red. So the conductor just keeps on going. And while the dad is looking at the gears, the oil, make sure everything's okay for the bridge, the son sees the train. He sees his train. He says, my goodness, the train. Dad, 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 the train. Dad, the train. The train is early. Dad, dad, daddy. The train. And he's all he's thinking is there's people on that train. There's people on that train. There's people on that train. And then he remembers, he remembers what his father had showed him before, that there's a, uh, an area that you could get underneath and pull a red lever, allow the, allow the bridge to go down quickly. He remembers this. He remembers this, and he's thinking, there's people on this train. There's people on this train. i got to save them. And he goes, and he goes, and when the father looks out the window, he doesn't see his son. He's thinking, where's my son? Where's my son? And then he sees the train. And the last second, he sees his son reaching down. He pulls the red lever, but he, he goes all the way in. All the way in. He can't. He can't drop the bridge now. It's the father's choice. The father's choice. If he drops the bridge, he loses his son if he doesn't drop the bridge, he loses the world. My goodness, the people on that train, they didn't even know. They didn't even know. So he's thinking, pull the lever, save the world. Don't pull it, save my son. What does he do, right? What does he do? And in anguish so visible, it hurts. He pulls the lever in the bridge quickly drops. And the people on the train didn't even know. They didn't even know. Jesus went to them. He went to them. See, and then it shows this picture of the father who goes out and in absolute anguish he is crying out. He's crying out because he's so hurt. My goodness, what has happened? Passing by in the train, there's a, a lady in the bathroom. She can see out the window. She's liquefying her heroin, and she sees the anguish of the father. Even for the briefest of moments, that's all it took for her to drop it. Do you see what I'm saying? If we let Jesus into our boats and we see the reality of what he did, if we just see it for the first time, we understand the anguish, we understand the deepness, we understand the profundity of what that meant, we'll stop. We'll stop looking at some of the things we're looking at, saying some of the things that we're saying, doing some of the things that we're doing. Jesus died 
so that we could have freedom from some of the things that plague us the most. And some of us don't even know. We don't even know we're still straining at the oars and we're still feeling like the wind is against us. My goodness, look up and see that Jesus has come to you. Let him into the boat. And you gotta relinquish control. And he'll save you. He'll save you. And I think that's awesome. And I think all of that's there in that simple but beautiful miracle of Jesus walking on water. You pray with me. Lord, I just thank you so much that you took the initiative and you came to us. It says that while we were still sinners, you died for us. God, I thank you so much for the comfort that you provide, God. I thank you so much for the salvation that you bring, God, not just in the most ultimate sense, but even in the small things, God, you are present and you are delivering us. And I pray that we would be faithful. We would relinquish control, God. We would let you in the boat of our lives. I thank you for your love. And I thank you most of all, God, for your sacrifice. And I pray that I would feel, that I would see, that I would experience, God, just a fraction of the anguish. And I would know and realize, God, just how hard yet amazing that sacrifice was. I pray that you would be with the people here, God. I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people here, God. And I, I pray if there are people here with struggles and problems, God, that they would learn to look to you and let you in, God, and they would learn to relinquish that. God, and that you would allow the storm to stop. I thank you for your love, and I pray that you would be with us today and forever in your name. Amen.